welcome to the Manky Union Candidates here on Fab Radio International and YouTube. My name's Paul Ripley and this geezer is... I'm Mike Royce and tonight it's going to be a really serious, really deeply professional show. It's going to be, we're going to have a look at the pandemic, we're going to have a look at the situation in a really broad way. We're going to ask some tough questions of somebody who knows exactly what's been going on and we can ascertain what sort of a job the government's been doing. But in the meantime, just to start this show, it turns out that in some areas of the world, the pandemic must be over. In fact, it must be just almost ready to return back to normal because a certain state in America has decided it's time to fling the doors open. Back to our top story today and the big talker this week. A week from today on March the 10th, Texans will no longer be required to wear masks and all businesses in the state can go ahead and open back up to 100% so that lifting the mask mandate in particular doesn't necessarily jive with what a lot of health professionals are saying right now. So we're asking, do you agree with the governor's decision to end the statewide mask mandate and reopen businesses to full capacity? We've had thousands of you weigh in this morning, more than 4,000 already. Keep weighing in. Let us know what you think. WFA.com slash vote now is another option. So we are exploring this story from a lot of different angles because it does impact everybody. Starting with health and wellness reporter this morning, Sonia Azad. Hey, Sonia, good to see you. Hey, good morning. Woo, look at that poll. Okay, listen up, you guys. Look, the community of scientists, researchers, doctors, experts in the field of virology, epidemiology, infectious disease are all reacting to Governor Greg Abbott's announcement to open Texas. Uh, look, I spoke with Dr. Julie Morita, and she served on President Biden's COVID advisory a team during his transition to office. She's a former commissioner of public health and she worked for the CDC. So I said, look, Dr. Marita, what do you think of this move? Here's what she had to say. I was disappointed to hear that this decision was made because I think from a public health perspective, we like to base recommendations and interventions on the science that's available. And this is different where we are now over a year into this pandemic and we have a lot of evidence and we have a lot of science that demonstrates the effectiveness of wearing masks, of the keeping distance, of not being in crowds together, and that we have good vaccines available. And this is all based on evidence that we've acquired over the course of the past year. And to have that information and to disregard it seems irresponsible. And it's disappointing to see that happening. Dr. Marita told me she hopes other governors across the country take science-based research into account when making their decisions. She added, while case numbers, hospitalizations, deaths have dropped, still not low enough to let our guard down. So when you go out to, let's say, grocery stores or restaurants, take the setting into consideration. You are at higher risk when you're indoors and when it's crowded and when other people around you are not wearing masks. So it's even more important for those of us who will continue to wear them to make sure you're doing so the right way. Sonia, in his announcement, the governor said that he was reopening Texas 100%. That doesn't necessarily mean it will be, though, because ultimately the decision will still lie in the hands of the businesses and organizations. We started seeing these statements coming from those businesses shortly after the governor's announcement that the mask mandate will be lifted on March 10th. The grocery store chains, HEB, Central Market, Tom Thumb, Albertsons, all announced they're still going to require employees to wear masks and they urge strongly that their customers do the same, though they aren't requiring it of their customers. Target, though, they still will require their customers to wear masks when they enter the store. We checked with some local malls, the Galleria and North Park. They said they're reviewing the order and will make a decision soon. So you'll still need to know the mask policy for whatever business you enter. In his announcement, Governor Abbott said Texans still need to practice good personal responsibility, and this move will give business owners the freedom to operate independently. If businesses want to limit capacity or implement additional safety protocols, they have the right to do so. It is their business and they get to choose to operate their business the way they want to. At this time, however, people and businesses don't need the state telling them how to operate. So, first comment, first comment about this before even getting into whether or not this is a wise decision. 
right? Because that's a bigger question, and it's gonna. We've got a guest coming up, and we're going to be having a chat with John Ashton in in just a few minutes. And I can tell you that this is not what it's on on face value what it's supposed to be. He is not opening this up because he thinks Texas is ready. He's not opening up because he thinks the pandemic's over and the vaccine's doing its job. He's opening up because he's just cocked up and messed up everybody's lives all over the state of Texas. He's robbed them of of food, housing, electricity through sheer boneheaded incompetence. Am I right? So, um, (coughs) I'm just thinking about it this country as well i'm lost at the moment still There's yeah no but sort of... texas he's a, he 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 decides now yeah, just now yeah. to open up yeah. now will that, when... gain, will that gain him votes though next time they have a, an election well he's hoping that they'll forget about the freezing cold and everybody just yeah. being in a house for t- it was about two weeks some people were without electricity without heating without clothing without the uh, they couldn't go shopping for clothes for food for for anything and all this time where we covered the last week's show ted cruz decides to to bugger off i mean please any of you who are listening any of our american viewers here you can't possibly believe that the republican party and a republican governor cares about you these right-wing politicians right now do not care they don't care they see the pandemic as an interruption to the economic affairs of the country and an interruption to them getting re-elected. But how they do it, like she said, it's a diversion tactic. It's just, oh, look over there. Yeah. Oh, I'll do this. We're opening up. Let's have a party. Oh, you're upset. Oh, let's have a party. Come on, dude. Let's open up the cinemas. Let's open the bars up. It it doesn't make sense that they didn't gradually do this. Even if they wanted to do it, gradually do it. They're getting rid of social distancing on the 10th. They're going... From social distancing, mass mandate, to absolutely nothing in one day. And you already have a second curve over there that was catastrophic to prove the stupidity of doing things rushed. I think what's quite clear now is numbers don't matter. The whole, you know, we get numb to it, don't you, about people dying. And you, you don't see the person or the family because it's just a number. 520,000 people dead and everybody's just watching the counter on CNN or MSNBC or Fox. They're just watching this number slowly going up and, and fluctuating. And it is a number, but, but isn't it bizarre how 2,600 people uh, in, a, in a skyscraper that collapses, two skyscrapers, 2,600 people, and it changed fundamentally the American way of life for the past two decades, 2,600 people, 520,000 people, over half a million Americans dead, and you can't even get them to wash their hands and wear a goddamn mask. Although conspiracy theories were abound at the time, it's not to the level it is now. I think social media has uh, uh, pushed this to a level which is like, how can you actually get information across to people? So I understand it. I totally understand it. We just live in a crazy world where you don't know what to believe. We had the beginnings of social media when 9-11 happened, but it wasn't like this. Yeah, how how many times do you see footage of um, a missile going into um, some building, I can't remember which building it was now, or or the third tower, etc., etc. Yeah, it's it's full of it. But the level it's at now, I've never known the world to be in the place where... I'll repeat myself, you don't know who to believe. Well, you have to believe some people. And there are some people that are trying to do the best and there's some people that are not. And I'm not convinced that our government has been doing its best from day one. I'm not convinced that the American government care about the people that voted them into power. I think that power is all all that matters. We've just lived through a period where they've had an insurrection and they're even now arguing that that wasn't real that yeah. that there was there were people pretending to be trump supporters that did it you you can't believe no. anybody because of all the false information and the QAnon stuff is absolutely terrifying and and later on we'll cover some of that i mean they because this is the big day today where trump returns and this is the sort of stupidity you're dealing with but with this uh, with the pandemic now i think that texas reopening to me 
when I heard it, I could not believe my ears that they were going to just completely get rid of the mass mandate and, and open up like that. We need a candidate in uh, Texas to get hold of us, don't we? To come on the show and tell us about what it's like. Yeah, um, I, I'd love that. i tell you what I would like. How and, safe do they feel? And if, if anybody's watching this, you probably won't get anybody from QAnon watching this because of the uh, slightly, shall we say, acerbic way that we uh, talk about you guys. But, you know, if you want to state your case, if we can get someone from QAnon to... Um, Come on this show. I'd more than I'd be more than happy to have a chat with them. I'd want to know. I want to know why, how you can go down that rabbit hole. Well, we fell down it. Uh, this country, Christmas. Let's have a few days at Christmas. Yeah. Let's you know party away. Well, that's a question. That's, really that's, that's a question that needs answering, isn't it? It does. Is that following the government advice? Well, hopefully, we'll find out later on when John uh, um, turns up and mm. come on by the magic of. Absolutely. Video. Indeed. That Video. The, well, it's not a chat room. Then. It's not a chat room, no, no. No, no. Oh, but, do you want to, in the meantime, shall we have a look at what uh, what some people are expecting this religious experience today? Today, the 4th. It is. It, this is March the 4th today, and it is the day that QAnon and all the hardcore uh, Trump supporters believe that before midnight tonight, Trump is going to become the 19th President of the United States. JC rising. What were your thoughts on the violent insurrection incited by Trump at the Capitol? Oh my God, that's all such a lie. That was all the left. We have all the proof. There's tons of proof. <laughs> January 6th was a plan that was pre-planned by the Democrats. I knew that it was pre-organized by Antifa. What did you think of what happened on the 6th? On the 6th? 6th of January, the violent insurrection. What did you oh, think that, of that? That's what you guys call it, the insurrection? What would you call it? Well, I call it a movement by the communists to make it look like Trumpers did it. That's what I call it. So many Trump supporters arrested at us. Well, that's what you guys say. I don't believe that. You prove it to me. I mean, there's all the indictments. I mean, whatever you guys say, I don't believe any of it. Right. To tell you the truth. These Trump supporters are in denial about what happened on January 6th, and some believe in QAnon. What's going to happen at some point is there'll be arrests, and that'll include a lot of the line media, and then there'll be military tribunals. They keep saying that for well, years, it, and no, it's not it hasn't happened. been years. It hasn't it's, been, it's been years. It's been since 2017. It's been years now. We're taking it. This is a 6,000-year-old death cult. Right. You can't take it down that quick. I understand you're a very passionate Trump supporter, right? But yes. you, you surely, you surely can admit that the people who stormed the Capitol were Trump supporters. No, I definitely cannot. In fact, you're talking to the right person because I can t send you tons of footage that shows that that was all the left dressed up, the Antifa, the BLM dressed up as Trump supporters. It is my hope that uh, President Trump comes back. Um, as the 19th president of the United States under the uh, 1776, and um, that he is inaugurated on March 4th. That is my hope for our future. Some have bought into a new conspiracy theory that Trump will return as the 19th president on March 4th. Why? Well, they have misinterpreted an 1871 law and believe Ulysses S. Grant, who was inaugurated on March 4, 1869, was America's last legitimate president. It may all sound bizarre, but online discussion about March 4 has been a contributing factor in the decision to keep the National Guard in Washington, D.C. Are you going to feel foolish on March 5th when Biden's still president? Um, then Trump has a different plan in play. Everybody keeps saying Trump has a plan, he has a plan. When he lost the election, they said he has a plan. He's oh, still going to say that. Trump didn't lose the election, sir. But he did. Trump did not lose the election, and that's where we we differ. Right. And that's where I believe the information that Mike Lindell has put out. The pillow guy. Of all of the abuse, corruption, stealing. So do you, you trust a man? You trust a man more who sells pillows than the Republican officials? in Georgia. Oh, absolutely. But do you realize that sounds the, the, Let me crazy. just tell you that the people in Georgia are sick. And while most of the world looks on in horror at a deadly military coup in Myanmar, 
That's exactly what these Trump supporters hope to see happen here in the United States of America. This whole thing with Biden is just, he's like a puppet president. Uh, the military is in charge. It's going to be like Myanmar, what's happening in Myanmar. The military is doing their own investigation. And at the right time, they're going to be restoring the republic with Trump as president. What's going in on different in country. right now? The what? government took over and they're redoing the election. Would you like to see it happen? Absolutely. I would like to see it happen. Really? Yes. You know why? Because the election was stolen from us. I never would have believed CNN would have given me a chance to speak the truth. No. What a miracle. Praise God. I mean, but we're going to say in our news report that QAnon is a conspiracy theory. You don't believe QAnon is a conspiracy theory. Oh, I know it isn't. I know it isn't. I'm not much for believing. I have to know. Lunatics. Really hard to believe, isn't it? Really hard to believe that these people are just taken in well, I'm living in this world. There's another eight hours to go because it's Washington time. So uh, they've got eight hours for this to happen. This this religious experience. They, they in case anyone's confused, this 1776 thing is that the Ulysses S. Grant was the last person to get inaugurated in March. They changed it to January for other reasons, including wars and all sorts of stuff going on. And they, they for some reason, uh, have another theory that helps them get round the fact that Trump's lost and can't gain power, and that is that there has not been a legitimate president since um, Ulysses S. Grant, which we all know is just utter, utter nonsense. Right, a change of scenery. Uh, hopefully by the magic of which I said before this video, uh, we have the uh, author of a book called Blinded by Corona, Professor John Ashton, CBE, joining us. Hopefully. Is he there? Hello. Hello there. Can you hear us okay? I can hear you, but the dogs are barking. But oh. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, first of all, um, Mike, you've got a question, haven't you, about America before we start about yeah, the UK? because we want to primarily discuss the UK, but... Um, I wondered what your personal opinion was on um, on Texas reopening with no social distancing whatsoever on the 10th of March. Well, how long have you got? I mean, <laughs> you know, America is such a tantalising place, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, who can disagree with the founding fathers, we the people? Um and they escaped from the tyranny of the monarchy here in England. And then they created this sort of anarchistic country where, in theory, you can start off in a log cabin and you can finish up as president, but actually you've got to be a multimillionaire. And mm. they've got all these people who've been abandoned in the Midwest, um, you know, grubbing a living in many places. There's some very poor people in Texas. It's not all oil. And it's a bit like the red line um, in the north of England that the Conservatives tapped into last year, you know, yes. um, in, in the general election. So it's very complicated, all this stuff. I mean, you've got all this religious fundamentalism thrown into the mix. And there's not one America, you know, there's, I've got a book on the shelves here called The Nine Nations of North America, you know, yeah. got Ecotopia on the West Coast and you've got the industrial, you've got, it's a complicated business, America. And yeah. I, personally speaking, I, I, you know, move between despair and feeling that if I was a young man, in the time when they were opening up the West, I might have been there, you know. It's mm. a very complicated business. It is. Um, I think that, that above all things that shocked me when this uh, happened, because I'm used to uh, people when there is a genuine crisis, everybody just pulling together and getting on with stuff, and I, I just can't understand the politicization over there of it it happened here it's still happening here we've got in manchester people doing freedom marches uh, which uh, we cover on the show and and it, i these anti-vaxxers that do all this drive me insane and but in america to me they turned wearing a mask into being a member of the democratic party or anti-trump which i find shocking I know, but, you know, anti-vaccination, anti-science, anti-the-enlightenment 
has a very long history, you know. I mean, mm. you know, we had the Inquisition in Spain. You know, we had the Christians putting people to death. Um, we have these millennium movements that crop up from time to time. You had, you had um, Jones in Guyana, you know, killed all those people. When yeah. was that? 35 years ago now. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. People believing in... People believe it's the end of days, the Old Testament stuff about the apocalypse. And yes, of course, we've got the apocalypse on the agenda because of the way we're ruining the planet. But ironically, the same people who um, believe in the end of days probably don't believe in global warming. You know, it's Absolutely. so strange. Absolutely. Um, I'm relieved Biden's in on that <coughs> score, but um, I agree with you. The apocalypse, if if things don't change soon, very quickly, it might even be too late now. But moving on, uh, I remember watching you last year on, I think it's Question Time, and you sort of said, this will happen, this will happen, if we don't do this on that, and it happened. But nobody sort of took on board, and nobody seemed to believe you. Um how do you feel about that? Now you, you, you was right. <laughs> well, it's a very strange thing, you know. It doesn't give me any pleasure. Um, I've been in public health for over 40 years, and I've been involved with all sorts of disasters and emergencies. I was in, my, you know, my first the blooding was Hillsborough. Yeah. Um, but then later on, professionally, I had to deal with um, the aftermath of three IRA incidents in the Northwest. Um, the Legionella with the, the uh, outbreak in Barrow, the, the cocklers getting drowned, the Chinese in yeah. Morecambe Bay, the mass shootings um, in Cumbria, we had the floods. And I, I think I'm, I'm sort of hardwired now to know when something's going badly wrong. Um, and I, I'd been asked out to um, Bahrain last February to advise the uh, Crown Prince Task Force on um, COVID and to, to actually take it apart, take the plans apart and tell them what they got wrong and what they should do, which is an amazing uh, thing to be able to do. And they've done really, really well. I mean, they, they're right at the top of the World League table on how well they've done with COVID. But the day I um, was on question time, I'd just come off the plane back from Bahrain. And it was that week um, in March when everything happened, when the Cheltenham Festival happened. Uh, the Liverpool Atletico Madrid game was going ahead that night or the, the previous night. And um, the um, chief scientist was telling everybody that herd immunity would be a good idea. And I been in Bahrain were the Crown Prince, who um, is a Cambridge history graduate and a very sophisticated man who's got a very good understanding of these things. He and I got on well. He realised the importance of getting to grips with this and he'd set up um, a war room for COVID on the 3rd of February last year when Boris Johnson was mm -hmm. off with his mistress and fannying around, yeah, sorting true. out his marital yeah, affairs. True. And true. I came into to the programme um, with contrasting things in my head. And then we had Stephen Barclay, Minister in the Treasury, who just was so stupid about all of this. And we had a wonderful audience in West Bromwich um, who were not fools at all, you know. And they weren't taken in by the fact that Fiona Bruce gave him the lion's share. I mean, I was accused later on of dominating the programme, but I, I've listened to it several times and I measured how much time Barclay had <laughs> and how much time I had. He had 21 minutes. I had 14 minutes. Right. Um, and he's been on question time twice since then. Well, I think uh, that show's been a shambles since she yeah. took over. Uh, it used to be a balanced show. It, it, uh, I know sometimes the BBC gets accused of government bias, but I've always found it under certain presenters to be reasonable and the discourse to be balanced on occasion. It's been, uh, but it, it 
seems like propaganda to me watching that show now. Well, it, it, it shows how badly the BBC has fallen. They've been intimidated by the governments and now they've got their own place people running the show. Um, I mean, I, I look for, for Sky and for Channel 4 and for the new digital channels like this for my information now. When, uh, when we made certain amount of progress, but obviously there was going to be a second wave, a second curve of this... Why Why was science ignored heading into Christmas after making progress? Why Why was it that Boris and the government seemed so determined to ignore everybody and have five days or four days relaxed over Christmas to let the thing just go out of control, which then he had to backpedal and reduce it to one day and come off looking rather stupid? I think, you know... It- it takes longer than we've got to really go into that. But, you know, setting aside the fact that public health's been run down for 10 years, uh, that it's been asset stripped in local governments, um, that local directors of public health have been marginalised until this pandemic, setting aside all of that, it does come back to the failure of leadership of Boris Johnson and his his distraction by Brexit and his mistress mm. and all the rest of it. Yeah. But it, it, I think the real issue is he's weak and he's been torn um, over the last 12 months between the needs of public health and the pressure from born-again free marketeers mm. who just wanted to let the economy rip again and weren't concerned about the tens of thousands of people's loved ones who've now died unnecessarily. And so his indecisiveness and his vacillation led to all these inconsistent policies. And we saw that particularly over the last few months and with the lead up to Christmas when, you know, he'd been advised by Sage um, to have a, a fire break for the autumn half term and he ignored that. And then he got all gung ho on having a normal five days for Christmas. And it was obvious to those of us who were looking at the increasing numbers that that you know, was not the right thing to do. Mm. And we've now got the same business of a narrative which is encouraging everybody to think they can go and have summer holidays in Europe. And, you know, that may not be the case. It may well, be that we will be all right in the UK because the one thing that they've got right, they, you know, I, I've said before... Boris Johnson's not put a foot right in this pandemic, but the, the one thing they've done right is to get the vaccines in place. And the interesting thing about that is that most of that's been down to local national health services. It's not been to private companies mm. who've run away with billions of pounds. <laughs> well, but, we covered know, that. He, he's yeah. now been building up expectations of normal summer holidays, but they've the, got big problems in Spain and Italy and the countries that people normally would expect to go to on their summer holidays from yeah. here. And people yeah. should not be planning summer holidays outside the UK. Um, they yeah. should be thinking of doing something local. We've been talking about we've, this is exactly what we've been saying on the show. I mean, I was mortified when an advert came on that we've all seen for Ryanair that ended up being pulled because it was deemed to be misleading by advertising standards, that came up with the slogan, jab and go. Jab and go. Yeah, jab and go. And, and really, you know, just because you've had one vaccine doesn't mean you won't get it. If you, even with two, you won't get it necessarily. You, you might still get it. And the mutations are there, and we don't know what this means. This virus is a clever little fella... It's, it's the simplest life form, a bit of RNA. And because it's so simple, it keeps changing. And yeah. it can come back with a vengeance. And we just need to chill out and, you know, make the most of our own environment for the next few months. John, before we talk about your book, um, I mentioned that you were coming on the show, or we've been on a date, really, in the date with the emails. Uh, can I read a couple of them out to you? Just a few questions, really, for you. Um, one of them, this is from Elaine, it says, uh, we're constantly told that schools are safe. So when they reopen, will infection rates rise again like they did in September? 
Well, I hope they won't. But, you know, the problem we've got, again, and it shows the narrow um, advisory mechanisms that the government's got, because, you know, de the deaths have been horrendous, um, but it looks as though the deaths are now coming down. The latest figure for today is 234, I think. Um, it's coming down uh, each day steadily. And, um, you know, there are other things to consider. We've got to consider long COVID, um, which seems to affect about 10% of people who've had it and may persist with them for the rest of their lives with various illnesses and chronic conditions. We've got to consider the mental health aspect of this, which is going to turn out to be a parallel epidemic of um, anxiety, uh, phobias about going out, um, depression, all sorts of things on the mental health side. But, you know, the, the thing I'm concerned about is that because the focus still is on reducing deaths, when deaths are actually going to be very low in the immediate future, is that the spreading of it now becomes the most important thing. So why aren't we vaccinating teachers, policemen, yeah. Yeah. taxi drivers, yeah. Yeah. and those young people on the checkout at Lidl yeah. and Aldi, you know, because they're the ones who are spreading it. And, you know, that's where a lot of people are getting their viruses from. And it, the more the virus circulates, the more it can mutate. And so even though we vaccinated lots of people, then if we get a mutation that's resistant to the vaccine, then it'll come back and hit them as well. So we should actually be currently, and this is, I disagree you know, very strongly with what the government policy is at the moment, what the advisors have been telling them, we should have a parallel track now for vaccinating frontline workers. Now that we've, we've done pretty well everybody over 60 or 65, we now need to switch and say, right, we're going to use half the vaccine now for frontline workers and half to work down through the priority groups. Yeah, Nick has um, emailed and he asks, was it worth spending $22 billion on a trace system that fails to find someone returning from overseas with a deadly variant of COVID-19? Well, no is the answer to that, isn't it? And, you know, they've run down the local public health system if they'd put 22 billion into local public health, we would have had a world-beating system. But they've taken. Um, well, I was director of public health in the northwest for 13 years, and I was director of public health in Cumbria for six. I left Cumbria in good shape with a strong team. Cumbria's not done badly actually during this, but the number of uh, staff there is a fraction of what it was in 2013. The local authority got rid of people and the government had cut the budget dr dramatically for public health and that's happened all over the country. They, they didn't have the capacity to do the testing and tracing which has always been bread and butter for public health at the local level. What we in the game call shoe leather epidemiology, going around street to street, door to door, finding out where the problem is and stopping it in its tracks. We've got another email asking uh, what will happen after this lockdown ends. This person's worried, saying, I've no idea when, when, when we're supposed to go back into the office or whether it will be safe to do so. Well, again, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. I mean, one of the problems about this whole thing has been the government and its advisors have never been willing to put their hands up when they didn't know something. They've always pretended they knew things that they didn't. And that's, that's contributed to the breakdown of trust because the public will trust you. I've discovered that in 40 years in public health. If the public will trust you, if you say, I don't know, but my best bet is this, that or the other. But they never, they never admit to not knowing. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think we've got to be cautious uh, we, you know, we, we really don't know what's going to happen as we ease off. But the problem, as I just indicated earlier, is that if we tell people that you can be business as usual come June, July, I'm afraid that's a hostage to fortune. Life has changed. I mean, it, for argument's sake, it may be that there are going to be in future a third less office days worked 
you know, the lots of people are now going to be wanting to work two or three days a week in the office, partly from home. The companies are going to want to embrace this. I mean, we've been very slow in this country at embracing dis uh, remote working. It's much more common mm. before the pandemic in North America, but British bosses and companies don't trust their workers, although it's been no. shown. It's been shown that, um, you know, productivity is better when people aren't spending an hour or more going to work and coming home again in the evening. And they actually put in more hours if they're at home than if they're going in somewhere. You know, Do you think some so there's so many things are going to be changed as a result of this. Life will, yeah. will not be the same. I mean, I, I'm very interested in the history of public health. And we know from pandemics of the past that there have been dramatic changes following pandemics. If you look at what happened in the plague years in the 1300s, it led to the summer of blood in, uh, in June, July, with 500 people in London having their heads chopped off because of what really? had happened to the peasants as a result of the plague uh, and the way in which the middle class exploited the working class after the plague. And you get dramatic social and economic and political changes after one of these events. You mentioned that in your book, and the reason why I know that is um, I went on Amazon and I bought it. And I've read the first couple of pages that you can do, and I was reading it about the plague and the bloodletting. I was, I have to buy this book. So we're here to talk about the book as well. So why did you write it for one? Well, I, I, for a number of reasons, really. I, I started writing at the beginning of the pandemic. I started writing a few things um, you know, for the British Medical Journal and so on. And then I got asked to do regular things for the new uh, digital um, newspaper, uh, Byline Times. And um, I got approached by uh, Martin Ringer, who's a publisher with uh, Gibson Square Press. And he said, can you do me a quick book on this? And, you know, here I was at home. Uh, I'd been to Bahrain twice in February and March, but I was working from home, writing a lot, doing a lot of media. And I just started writing every morning. And um, Martin Ringer said to me, can you write me a book on this in, um, you know, three or four months, in 12, 16 weeks? And I just started writing every morning. And I think I, I'd been encouraging people on social media to keep their own diaries of the pandemic because... I think it's been so important to get the evidence for the future for if there's ever a proper judicial review and inquiry that people have charted it. And, you know, this book of mine is the first six months up to July the 4th, which the Prime Minister uh, insisted on calling Independence Day uh, after mm. American independence. But uh, I think what it does is provide a reference. A lot of the stuff that was happening so quickly and so fast uh, that when you cast your mind back, you think, oh, God, what happened then and what happened then and what happened then? Well, I think I've captured most of it in one place. And hopefully it'll be a reference when we come to have legal inquiries into what's happened because I've put it all down in one, uh, in one place. You, we talk about government and Boris's job on it, uh, and uh, some people think he's doing a great job. I mean, across the media, not me. Uh, and they say because he's done so well on this, and I'm me and my were, were just aghast really at uh, how it's gone. I'm shocked at how inept he is. Uh, I didn't like him. The cards on the table. I didn't like him. I always thought he was a bit of a buffoon, but I thought there was a lot of an act with the buffoonery. I thought he might have been cleverer than uh, than that. He's been he's been awful. Well, he's awful. a narcissist, yeah, and he's not very clever. I mean, it's interesting, you know. He went to um, Oxbridge. He went to Oxford or Cambridge. I forget which one because they both blend. Yeah, he was in the Bullingdon Club he, with Cameron, wasn't he? It's, it's because he'd done uh, classics at school, which nobody else does. Um, he was able to walk in with very poor A levels, mm. you know. I mean, the man's not a, not a genius. He, he banters around a few Greek phrases. Uh, he's been totally narcissistic throughout his life. He's un, untrustworthy. I mean, he was sacked he for, as, as a journalist for, for making things up. Yeah. And, 
you know, it's quite remarkable that the state of British politics has come. I was just watching Kenneth Clark on the news tonight. And, um, you know, I've never been a conservative supporter. But you, know, you look at Heseltine, you look at Kenneth Clark, you look yeah. at some of the other conservatives that we had in the 60s, 70s, 80s, who were statesmen, who were, who were clever yeah. people and, and who had a different political philosophy to my own but who you felt knew what they were doing. Yeah, they, they had a, you could have a political difference, but you could respect the fact that whilst the political differences of opinion were there, they were still competent at doing the job. Yeah, well, this man's lazy. Yeah. It's asleep at the wheel, and I, and I agree, and, and I think Christmas showed everybody that, and I'm surprised he's, they're still ahead in the polls with what's gone on. Uh, well, it's because the, the problem we've got in this country is that the radical alternative is split between Labour, the Greens, the Liberals, you know, and so on. This is the problem. The Conservative Party is laughing because the radical left of centre can't get its act together. Mm. So that means that the Conservatives are always in power because of the egocentricity of the left. Absolutely. Crazy, crazy times. Um, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. We'd love to have you back at some stage. Uh, and um, again, it, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to hear the truth yeah. about this. It, it, honesty is better, even though some of it's more long-term than we want to hear. It's better to know, and um, I'm very grateful for you coming on and telling people. Well, it's great to be on the Mank programme. Thank you. <laughs> you take care and buy the book. That's the thing. Buy the book. Blinded by Blinded Corona. Blinded by Corona. By John Ashton. It's an Amazon and I know because I bought it. So go out and buy it. John, again, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. What a nice guy. What an informative guy. Yeah. And you may, as, as I was saying there, you may not want to hear everything that he's just said because the, the one thing that really struck me and got me right in here was when he said... I, throughout history whenever there's been something like this it's had prolonged ongoing consequences things haven't snapped back there has no. been permanent change after it and it, it can be scary thinking about things there's, like that there's some comments here on, yeah. on, um, on our little chat room Mike back on the chat room are yeah, we? Uh, talks have already begun in our company the public sector regarding reducing working days in offices looking at two days in at max Right, that fits with exactly what what's yeah, just, just been said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. I mean, it's it's awful, isn't it, when you think about it? But um, saying it, Stephen's saying they got friends over in Austin, Texas. They're yeah. saying uh, they're they're saying I'm still wearing my mask. My friends over there think their governor is a moron. So he's what well, he said. There are there's some clever people out over there who don't want any of this and. They they don't want all this stupidity, and um, you know that that's it, isn't it? But let's move on. Um, there's something that happened this week in the news, and you wanted to talk about it and cover it. And yeah, it's horrendous. It is really bad, and some people will have seen the photograph, and some people won't have. For a long, long time, there's been uh, animal cruelty, and in particularly in horse racing, in particular, yeah. there's been uh, a lot of accusations of it over the years. Now, I don't get too preachy about all these things. There's one that I'm definitely against, and always have been, always will be, and that was fox hunting. If anyone can justify that to me, then uh, that then you're an idiot because people say it's about pest control. Well, if you phone out Rent-A-Kill to deal with a rat, they don't dress up in a weird costume and chase it round the house on horseback, do they, with, with trumpets, and when they catch it, go and smear a bit of rat blood on someone's face. So that doesn't hold up. Whereas horse cruelty comes from watching the Grand National every year. There's horses yeah, that break goodness. the neck, they have to be executed. But you do think that the people who... who are at the head of the the trade at the top of the stables who are in charge of it all will will want what's best for the horses but it turns out some at the very top have not been very nice 
This is the image Gordon Elliott has spent more than two decades cultivating, that of a serial champion. At 29, he was the youngest ever Grand National winning trainer, and he's won the sport's biggest prize twice more with Tiger Roll. But this is the image he says he'll spend his whole life paying for. It shows the Irishman sat astride a dead horse. He says he sat down to take a phone call. This was just a one-off, others said. Then came this video. <laughs> Amateur jockey Rob James, who rode a winner for Elliot at the Cheltenham Festival last year, also sat atop a dead horse. He claims the video was from 2016. In a statement, he said, I'd just like to apologise for my actions, which were wholly inappropriate and disrespectful to a lovely five-year-old mare who unfortunately suffered a sudden cardiac arrest while at exercise earlier that morning. At Newmarket, home of British horse racing, they're reeling. Often they find themselves defending horse racing against welfare concerns from outside. This feels like a betrayal from within. George has been in the sport all his working life. I was, I was disgusted um, with what, what I saw and never mind background or reasons or anything. I, I couldn't believe what I'd seen, especially in somebody in, in such a high position that, that obviously runs a massive operation and, and should know better. The timing of these stories is particularly uncomfortable, coming just two weeks before the start of the Cheltenham Festival when horse racing is in the shop window. They really don't want to have to be contending with stories like this. The Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board is investigating Gordon Elliott and Rob James, but the sports authorities are keen to stress that care like this is more indicative of the industry. Our job, I think, is to try and reassure the British public that this isn't our values, this doesn't represent our industry. We don't recognise this behaviour at all. Elliot's been dropped by his biggest sponsor and deserted by one of his biggest owners. His career hangs in the balance. Horse racing is again searching for a brighter horizon. A brighter horizon. He's a sick motherfucker, isn't he? Yeah, that's all that's way, the best way of putting it. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I get it. The, the, there is a trade-off here where people are getting entertained by the horse racing. Yeah. People are employed by the stables. It's an industry. It's it's. Then you've got Betfair and the gambling. Oh, and by the way, I want to give you a little quote from Betfair. Yeah, you'll, li you'll like this. This to me? Yeah, but all well, of us, everybody, right? Yeah. Um, Betfair are not happy because you know um, that they had an advertising deal with that guy, yeah? Oh, yeah. And they've turned around and they've said, quote, that that, that his actions um, do not coincide with the values of the Betfair organisation. So, what, their, their values, their values, <laughs> Betfair, values. The Bet, Betfair, it's like Buddhism, is it? Yeah, is it, yeah. Is it, what like, what yeah. values are these then? What yeah. The values of Betfair. So you don't go to church, go, go <laughs> the church find out, let's, let's read the Betfair rules and regulations. But it, I, I, I always think of people, uh, I remember being a kid, I remember people, uh, I remember a certain lad who, I'll tell you a story, Mike, I'll tell you the story. He had a, a little fence outside his, he lived in a pub and had a bowling green. Yeah. And he, he got a bit of a fence, a metal fence, and he got wires attached to it. Yeah. And then he'd throw frogs on it. Oh, what an arsehole. Yeah, yeah. Same person then later bought a gun and shot cats. Fucking hell. Wait, yeah. wait, what are you doing hanging around with him? Well, I wasn't. He was, well, he lived next door, but one to him. Yeah. And his, <laughs> his sister was really nice looking. Oh, I, right. I was like, you oh, so coming out I was now. 10. Yeah. But I was thinking the type of person who... You hear about it all the time, people throwing fireworks at dogs and cats and all that And that type of thing towards animals. I don't get it. I don't. I think that type of human being turns into a Trump. I don't I don't get it. I mean I was I've not been attached until recently to to having a pet. Mm. And believe me, well, I couldn't understand it when I saw people being so uh, affectionate. But even then, because I, I wasn't into having a pet, 
I still love animals and I still couldn't imagine doing anything to hurt one. And now I've actually got a, a little furry friend at home. He's, um, it, I couldn't imagine it. If anything happened to him, I'd be mortified. These people, uh, what was he gaining from posing like that? Being, being a smart ass on a dead, with, with his phone, phone on the dead horse. What was it? And did you see the, hor- the horrible look on that horse's face? And then he's made the other guy. The, the horses had a coronary, and like I say, you know, but but we're all all right but, because it's not it's it's not true to the values of Betfair. Oh, Cheltenham Race Course, sorted out. Remember Cheltenham last year? Yeah, spread it everywhere. Yeah, boohoo. So there you go, boohoo. There's another boohoo, like tears, and this boohoo. If you're being employed by fast fashion, because there's been some not very nice things coming out lately. It turns out that uh, Boohoo, the uh, the fashion company, and slavery have more in common than you might imagine. It's in Leicester, on this shabby industrial estate, that 40% of Boohoo's clothes are made. Last year, many of its suppliers were mired in allegations of slave labour. It's a world away from Boohoo's glamorous image, selling cheap fashions to its young and trendy customers. The backdrop to its adverts is America, a lucrative market that's now under threat. US law is tough on imports of goods made with forced labor. US Customs is being urged to ban clothes from Boohoo and much of its supply chain in Leicester until proof they are made without exploitation. That was news to factory owner Saeed Kilji. He said a US import ban would hurt, but insisted working conditions had improved greatly. If American government taking any action, and if they have enough evidence to do that, then yes, there will be an effect. But I'm sure now on, there won't be a problem in Leicester. I'm 100% confident on that. British lawyer Duncan Jepson has asked for two bans, one on Boohoo and one on most of its suppliers. US Customs has told him there's enough evidence to start an investigation. What obviously we'd all like, uh, who, those of us who are interested in the improving labour conditions, is for Boohoo to really get to grips with the governance of their supply chain to ensure that there is no wage theft, to ensure that people have proper contracts. Boohoo has 14 million online customers. Last year, its profit soared to 92 million pounds. A fifth of its sales were in the United States. If your business model is that your supply chains making people work for much less than the minimum wage in appalling working conditions, and you're undercutting the marketplace, um, that's unfair competition and you're driving legitimate businesses out of business uh, and, and that should never be allowed. In a statement, Boohoo said, the group has not been notified of any investigation by US Customs and Border Protection, but we are confident in the actions that we are taking to ensure that all of the group's products meet and exceed the CBP criteria on preventing the product of forced labour entering the US or any of our markets. One of the issues that Leicester reveals is that the the brand, uh, Boohoo in this case, has no legal responsibility for what happens in its suppliers. And I think that's a concern and I know a lot of people in the UK think the law needs to be strengthened so that they are in some way more responsible for what happens in their supply chain. 40% of Boohoo's clothes are made in Leicester's factories. The company says it has already taken action against 64 suppliers who did not meet its standards. That's what I say. Nothing good ever comes from Leicester. That's the st- first comment, right? I, I went to Leicester. We had a film. Uh, we, we were sponsoring a film festival for the magazine that uh, we've got. And um, I went there and I, I, I d- I knew, I'd heard it might be a bit run down. I'd heard that it might be. I've heard some people say it was a bit of a shithole. Yes, it was. 
and it's all full of rundown factories like you've just seen in the video for anyone who's listening on podcast it, it, it's pretty shabby looking uh, I went past a car park that normally would just be uh, demolished or being demolished and they just stuck little uh, ropes around it don't walk here because it beware falling masonry little signs like that I saw a second hand shop like a, um, a pound uh, cash converters and they've got you uh, second hand trainers in the window uh, it's another world, so it doesn't surprise me that this is based in Leicester. It's a shithole. I mean, they, they, that place the needs, is it, needs saving. Yeah, besides, you know, where it, location, there could be lots of reasons for that. Couldn't they? Under yeah. investment by our government, etc., etc. Yeah, just move but out. Move. Are you are you wary of where you buy your clothes from yourself? Yeah. So you would only buy from ethical traders as such. Uh, if I found out that some some where I was buying a suit from were employing people like that, I wouldn't buy it. No. So same reason I'm not I'll, I'll buy free range eggs because if you've got a choice between buying them and you know they've come from free range chickens or chickens in a in a coop in a battery, yeah. I'd rather not help them. I'd rather make sure okay, that that okay. that's better. It so does matter do you think, where you buy. Do you think it'll have an impact on the company as such? Yeah, I think that negativity, that that this coverage, even this coverage now, yeah. is it being negative towards them. They've got a share price. They've got to answer to people, and I think that it does matter. I get you. Where are you coming from? You're probably thinking there'll be some 18 year old girl who wants this care dress and and won't care, or this guy who wants this uh, pair of trousers that uh, whatever. See how old. Well, well, ask our listeners. I mean, do do you care where you buy clothes from? Do you care? Does it matter to you or people around you? Just let us know. But it is. It's you. As pointed out, if this was America, boohoo would have people in prisons in private prisons employed doing that for like a dollar an hour probably you know the, this sort of stuff is is yeah. wrong and it always ends up with an underclass and those people that are employed in those factories how many of those are going to be black or or of a, or of part of the population that are, are struggling and are always victimized there won't be as many white folk in there and you know it it's a modern form of of, of slavery, slavery. Yeah, it, it is. Always has been. We're coming to the end of the show. Thank you so much for um, watching the show and supporting the show throughout the time. With the channel's doing great, but please tell people as well to subscribe and join us on Twitter as well. Twitter's doing amazing. Um, M underscore candidates. Uh, just add us on Twitter. And That's we'll right. Follow you back. And get them that subscribe button banged yeah, and get that on bell. The yeah. get the bell rung then you know when there's new videos um eddie's got a comment yeah. eddie Sheehy says uh, northern ireland invested about seven hundred thousand in a track and trace system that was up and running within a few weeks whilst the government in london spent 22 billion on a system that totally failed it's true i hope that by the end of this i hope there'll be a proper investigation and that people will be held to account for the corruption uh, this that's is it. gone I on. mean, we will talk again every week. Talk about corruption within the government, and we'll talk about again next week something that's come out this week. Uh, we'll cover it next week, but we want to finish on. Yeah, with uh, unfortunately, cancel culture rolls on. If you believe yeah. in such a thing, some people do, and some people it annoys people. It's a it's a hot button topic, and it turns out that Dr. Seuss is the latest victim that's got the right wing. In a tizzy. My co-host tonight, the Grinch, who stole Christmas. And as you can see, he has had enough. This was actually a meme that went viral today in response to the announcement from Dr. Seuss Enterprises that six Dr. Seuss books would no longer be sold. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. We can see that. But trust me, we get it. The now canceled titles include the very first Dr. Seuss book, And to Think I Saw It on Mulberry Street. Now, to clarify, Dr. Seuss Enterprises didn't want to do this. This had been pushed on them for a long time by the cancel culture mob. We flipped through this book, this first published book from way back in 1937. Here is what is considered offensive by the crybabies that have taken over our society. A caricature of an Indian man riding an elephant. A caricature of a Chinese man eating with chopsticks. Shocking, isn't it? I've been to China. You know what I found? People eat with chopsticks. Who knew? If you lived in Shanghai as an American and saw a kid's book there that showed an American running around eating with a fork, 
Would you be offended? Do you think Chinese people are offended by any of this? Of course not. 99.9% .9 of Chinese people couldn't care less about any of this. But white American kids at liberal universities are outraged. And that's what this is all about. It reminds me of this now classic moment from last summer. This is not a black woman who's putting Black Lives Matter. I just want you to know that when Right, but y'all y'all doing that for us and we ain't asking you to do that. Listen, don't 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 spray stuff on here when they gonna blame black people for this and black people didn't do it. It's incredible, right? Something that happened actually quite often. The actual alleged victims of society, in this case, black people living in this neighborhood, don't consider themselves victims at all and are actually mad at the white Antifa wannabe female college students for spray painting private property. Same principle here. The ones making all the noise are not Chinese or Indian. It's just not the way it is. Over at CNN, host Brian Stelter says that we on the right are way too focused on cancel culture. He thinks it's a right-wing obsession and isn't even real. Disney slapping a disclaimer on old episodes of The Muppet Show that most people will never even watch. Hasbro rebranding Mr. Potato Head to promote inclusion. Democrats and Republicans battling over mean old tweets posted by a Biden nominee. All of these do matter. A little. You might argue they symbolize bigger changes in the culture. Okay. But there's something wrong when so-called cancel culture gets more attention than the struggles that millions of Americans are facing and the, and the importance of a COVID relief deal. Here is Bill Maher from last weekend. And finally, new rule, liberals need a stand your ground law for cancel culture so that when the woke mob comes after you for some ridiculous offense, you'll stand your ground. Stop apologizing because I can't keep up anymore with who's on the list. Cancel culture is real. It's insane. And it's growing exponentially. And it's coming to a neighborhood near you. He's right. Stelter's wrong. The truth is. A huge chunk of Democrats actually agree with Bill Maher. They do. But there's no coalition of anti-cancel culture people to fight the morons that are shoving all this down our throat. 0.2% of the country, a bunch of weenies out there, have somehow wrangled incredible power over all of us with this. And we're just sitting here taking it. It's getting worse every day. What's funny is how selective it all is. I watch old reruns of funny TV shows all the time because nothing really is funny anymore. It's not allowed to be in Hollywood. I see content in countless programs from the 80s, 90s, even 2000s that by today's standards would be canceled immediately if the right people saw it and made enough noise. Imagine what will be cancelable in five years. They're going to have to cancel the, cancel the entire history of this country. There you go. Just what News a point. Max, what a shit, shit I, station, I, I just, I'll say. I'm I not swear on this show, point, but it's awful. I just want to point out on the screen then at the end, yeah. they spelled cancelled wrong. They spelt cancelled wrong on oh, the script. Things aren't that funny anymore. Maybe they're they, not. That's they a sweeping statement, that. Things are not funny yeah, anymore. anymore. And, you did on Netflix, does it? No. I mean, at the end of the day, what I get where he's... I get a lot... I'm only going to say this one thing. I do get where he's coming from with a picture of the Chinese boy. It's a time. It's a, bit it's a time. Well. Would you go back in, in time and change the culture? I know, but I was. I had a conversation years ago when they did this with Tintin and the Congo because yeah. it's got a lot of African guys with I the big lips and all that. Yeah, and they decided to take them off, but then they reprinted them then with an explanation at the beginning just to kids as to why this was the case and why it's not really appropriate, yeah. but but it's still worth reading because it gives you an idea what things were like then and I'm all for that and I'm all for giving the explanation at the beginning of Gone with the Wind as to why this is this this is not a realistic should, view should, of should the you not have to explain it though should you not just be able to pick it up yourself I think you are should we, explain we... to younger people who don't understand that there's something wrong because if they do pick it up and think there's nothing wrong with it you don't want them to get the wrong idea but I think it's mm. important they do see how we've changed and, and society's got better I think. I'll ask this question to you. Are you woke, Mike? Woke? No, I don't think I'm woke. I think I'm aware of some things that could be better and need changing. But I would. I don't run around trying to force it on other people. I think woke is like um, going too far. I think where woke people are when you're referring to someone as woke. I think it's someone who's 
preachy and pious and has a dim view of you. I mean, who, I meet I meet a lot of people <coughs> who are woke when it comes to smoking. Who they they smokers and then suddenly they give up smoking and they start they become like an evangelist and start mm. preaching to everybody else as to why they shouldn't be doing it. And it, um, it, it that sort of attitude I can't stand. You know. It's a hard one, though, isn't it? It's a really hard one. I remember I lived uh, in, uh, well, near near Robinson's Jam. Yeah, yeah. In the factory there. Yeah, I know, I know where that was, yeah. I remember as a kid, I used to collect all the badges, the banjo playing... I've got a gollywog. I've got a gollywog at at home. I I obviously didn't buy it last week. Are you a racist? I just... Was I a racist then as a kid for having I these badges? I don't know whether it's racist to own a gollywog. Um, it's racist to think having a gollywog is absolutely essential and is a really good idea. I don't. I wouldn't call someone racist just because they've got one. Um, because tough. I've got one. Tough, tough subject. But um, but you you have to. I must admit this. Why didn't it, burn it? It took me a long, long time before I realised what it was. And they were talking about woken sense. as well. You go through the Bible. My goodness. I mean, they have altered Noddy books, haven't they? They've taken They've altered a lot the character out of it, the offending um, character. We go down the road, don't we? Of, um, well, some things have altered and some things uh, they've been going in the press, the right-wing press saying, oh, left-wing culture's changed this, changed that cartoon, changed this nursery rhyme. In reality, they haven't. But it's good newsprint, and I'm a bit lost with the whole walking thing. I think it's a bit strange. Not strange in the sense of, like, right or wrong but some people just go too far I I just don't think you can pretend that some of these bad things didn't happen and I think if you do you you run the the risk of things repeating themselves that's why I believe Germany dealt with their history (coughs) brilliantly and I think that America hasn't I think that Germany have made it illegal to have the Nazi symbolism and um, the swastika anywhere but they educate people in school in the appropriate place to find out about it whereas in America they uh, are not willing to admit that that confederate flag is is the same there's probably more nazi flags in the states than there are in germany from what i've been watching over the last few months i'd be i wouldn't be surprised well, on that happy note we'll say goodbye and join us next week if you would tell your yeah. friends and subscribe for another cheery show where we show you all the wonderful things that are happening in the world see you later